This is Public Health Review. I'm Robert Johnson. Today, the second installment in our two-part series on the future of the public health discipline. There was a team of people representing different organizations supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation that were brought together to think about the future of public health. Uh, They recognized that public health was changing. The beauty of this model is that it gives the, the state health official the opportunity to stand as a leader and as a very knowledgeable leader about what makes people healthy. Welcome to Public Health Review, a new podcast brought to you by the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials. With each episode, we'll discuss the most pressing public health issues facing our states and territories and explore what health departments are doing to improve the condition of our country's most vulnerable populations. On this episode, we finish our discussion about the concept known as chief health strategist. Last time, we heard from one of the model's architects, John Auerbach, president and CEO of the Trust for America's Health. The idea behind it was to step back from the practices that we had been involved in for decades and reflect on what were the current situations that were being faced around the country with regard to health and well-being. Today, we offer the rest of our conversation with Marianne Cooney, the chief of ASTO's Center for Population Health Strategies. We've heard from John Auerbach about the concept of a chief health strategist. To start, can you give ASTO's take on the concept? Well, ASTO right now is focusing a lot on building the leadership uh, capacity building and advocacy around that model of the chief health strategist, inclusive of the public health 3.0, which looks at data, the emphasis of data, multi-sector partnerships, and uh, really focusing on the social determinants of health. We know so much more now than we ever did in terms of what really makes people healthy. And it's time now for public health to move a little more into the zone of stepping out of the comfort zone of what we've always done with public health and, you know, disease surveillance and disease control and look at really what makes people unhealthy and focus on that and the health equity that is associated with health disparities. When we spoke with John, we went through the entire concept, step one through step six, explored every piece of it. It really does sound like the kind of thing that could push people out of their comfort zone. Yes, very much so. Um, Some handle it more than others. I think that those that have been in the public health world for a long time may struggle a little bit at first because they're very cultured to a certain way of of acting or uh, administrating or managing or even performing programs. Um, But I think that the beauty of this model is that it gives the the state health official and, and frankly, even their leadership team, you know, in their leadership team and all the way through the, the organization, the opportunity to stand as a leader and as a very knowledgeable leader about what makes people healthy. And what are the programs, the evidence-based practices, the data that you have to collect, and to promote that in such a way that, you know, they will act as um, the expert which they are, but in a very different light. We tend to talk to the same players all the time. We talk to each other a lot. 
and we talk to health care a little less, and we talk to social services even less. Well, in the last several years, particularly when 3.0 started and we really looked at the chief health strategist role, we now are having those conversations. We're not waiting anymore for somebody to invite us to a table, if you will. The thing I like to say, and some others will say, is, you know, we used to be invited to the table or be asked to invite, be invited to the table. Now I say the chief health strategist sets the table. They're the ones that are the convener. They're the ones that lead the efforts in states for health systems transformation. When I got my briefing from John on this, it was the first time I'd heard of the concept, so I was very interested in it. But uh, before that, I thought we were talking about a job title, a position, a person. He made it sound like it wasn't necessarily that at all. It was more a concept that needed to permeate the entire organization. So we're not talking about finding $150,000 for an employee. We're talking about finding the internal metal to go for it, right? Absolutely. That's where I said that we work at ASTO on a number of different levels with state health um, agencies. And, you know, there's the public health agencies. Some of the agencies in states are what we call mega agencies where they have human services, the Medicaid programs, and public health all under the same roof. But any one of the folks in any one of those sections of an agency or an organization should see themselves as a leader, especially as it comes to transforming a health system in a state. Because what drives the health of individuals is really the way we start out in life. Are we preventing the things that ultimately will cost more? And in public health, we get that. And we sometimes forget how much we know. In healthcare today, the folks that I talk to in the healthcare arena, they're, they're hungry for the information from public health. But they're, like anyone else, heads down sometimes in their most comfortable roles. And so I think it's public health's role to stand up and be that leader. And, um, and I was you know, just talking the other day to a chronic disease director, and I was emphasizing the fact that they, no matter where you are in an organization, you have um, a voice. And finding your voice is so important. And that's, that's the essence of the chief health strategist. It is not a title. It's more of a culture that we develop within ourselves to believe that we are those people that can make that kind of change. Now, changing a culture is a lot easier said than done, right? Yes, very much so. And the model has many parts. So if a state is out there thinking, we ought to get on board with this, we need to, is it possible to just nibble before you bite? Can you start anywhere in the model and get the ball rolling? Is it better to just do something here in this case? Well, you know, there's, um, I, I think you can start just about anywhere in the model itself. But a chief health strategist, if what you're trying to do is, you know, use that big, hairy, audacious goal of transforming a health system, you can start very small and that is just picking up the phone and starting to establish those relationships with people who we don't always consider our essential partner. 
Now, we know that health care is really important to the health of the public. We also know that prevention is a big role that primary care, for instance, plays in assuring health of individuals. Public health looks at any one of those individuals as a member of a larger community. And, and, and helping the health care provider to navigate that kind of concept and to see public health as a, as a partner in that, it takes building that relationship. And it, it can't start with somebody saying, you know, you've got this project, you just have to go do it. What state health officials now are doing, they're picking up the phone and they're starting a conversation just to get to know people. And I think we all know that even in our personal lives, if we want to establish a friendship, it isn't usually, it might start because of an issue that we're all, you know, interested in, but it's nurtured. And it has to be nurtured and fed. And uh, the identification of values is really important. So those are the things that are essential to get started. And the recipients of these phone calls might be experiencing some big change too, right? I mean, they, they're not necessarily accustomed to being addressed. Right. You know, there's, there's a lot that's happened in the last 10 years, for instance, particularly since we've had changes in the Affordable Care Act and, you know, many, many changes within the health care arena. And the emphasis now on quality and value-based payments and assuring that you have outcomes, I'm talking about in the, not only the healthcare world, but actually in public health as well, that that has created a, a much more urgent um, time or feeling that we have to work more closely together. So I think that um, just in that alone, that, that starts the conversation from a sense of we need to do this and how do we do it better and we can only do it better together. But there are other players that we, we now are, you know, emphasizing, and those are the relationships, particularly in the governmental structure of departments, regardless of whether or not they have Medicaid in their shop or not. There are the human services side of the house, the areas with temporary aid to needy families, com- commonly call it welfare, children, child welfare, child and family services, transportation even, another governmental agency that's outside of health and human services, housing. Those are the essential conversations that have to happen, and those might be some of the toughest ones because it is so different from public health, different in the way that there really is a mission that's, for instance, the mission of housing is to house people. What public health wants to make sure is that people that don't have a house, don't have a home, that they get one. One of the greatest indicators of somebody's health from behavioral health perspective, particularly a homeless individual, is if you give them a home and you provide case management to them, the success rate is through the roof in terms of them getting back on their feet, getting a job, becoming healthy, taking their medication, I mean, just think of it. How can you possibly even know where to pick up your prescription if you don't know where you're going to sleep that night? Yeah, it's all related. I remember at the Department of Transportation when I was there 10 years ago, maybe longer, 
the focus was on trying to connect transportation to all of those needs, too, mm-hmm. to understand that it's a network and you can't just focus on one piece. This sounds like the same thing. Absolutely. It definitely is the same thing. And in communities where there's very limited transportation, the more rural communities where there aren't necessarily the public networks or the public infrastructure that can support transportation, the chief health strategist or the, the local or state level, they play an, 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 a very, very important role in identifying those areas where there are significant gaps, where people cannot get to health care services. So it's really up to all of us. And I can't imagine that anybody, if you were working in transportation, you know what I'm talking about. Your first mission is to meet the needs of the people within your state. So how do you do that? You don't, if you don't know what you don't know, you're not going to address it. So when public health can pick up the phone and talk to the Department of Transportation and say, I have a whole community that is completely off the grid, but yet I've got many, many people there that have diabetes and can't get to their doctors. Well, that's a partnership that I can only imagine would be solid and everybody working towards the same goal. So this makes total sense to the guy who's not a public health professional. That's me. (laughs) How is it resonating with public health professionals? That's a great question, and I have um, one, I have a couple of examples. Uh, One in particular that is about our incoming president for our board president, uh, Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott, and she's in Rhode Island. Of course, I'm a New Englander, so I I tend to find the find the people, the gems in my area a little bit. But she she started to have conversations with the Department of Agriculture in her state. Uh, we all know obesity is an issue, food insecurity in many of the other communities. Now, you think, you think Rhode Island is small, and are there any rural or hot spots where there might be problems with access? There are, of course. There are food access issues. So she talked to the Department of Agriculture, and she talked to the local community leaders, and what they have started now is a, a full, comprehensive approach to addressing the food needs within communities all the way from providing fresh fruits and vegetables to including in the SNAP program um, things such as, um, well, they provide bonuses, if you will. So if somebody uses their SNAP benefit for fresh farm, fresh produce, they'll get a $2 back. So that's a, that's a great way of incentivizing people to eat more healthy. And that takes work, and that's the part of the chief health strategist. Here's, here's this you know, very you know, dedicated woman who has been a physician, worked in, worked as a, in, private, in, in practice. I don't know if it was private or not, but now she's picking up the phone, talking to the Department of Agriculture to set up standards for the state to help people become more healthy. Are most states tackling this in one way or the other, or is this still a very new idea for people? It, I would say in the uh, 10 years ago, 8 years ago, that would be a really big new idea. But right now, I'm find, you're find, we're finding places throughout the country where the departments of transportation, housing, and public health are working together to address social determinants of health. Uh, another example for a really big policy change that, that one 
you know, if you look at it, we know that income is an important piece. Well, Dr. Ed Allinger, who was our president a couple of years ago from Minnesota, he once pointed to his greatest public health accomplishment in helping to pass a minimum wage increase. Now, has nothing to do with disease control, surveillance, but it certainly has a huge impact on somebody's health if they can lift themselves up out of poverty, start to address healthy food, maybe even walking paths, buy a new, uh, come to a new apartment that they may never have had the ability to have their children live in their own bedrooms. So those are the things that we know in improve health and, and other state health officials are right there with him on that. And this sounds exciting because if you've been in the business a long time, this could be the thing that gets you interested in coming to work again each day. Are there any obstacles? Is there pushback at all? If so, what is it? So I would say the, you know, I, I was once a state health official, so I can, I can look back on my own days of the pushback. And this was some time ago when we were looking at developing integrated policy with our child welfare system about home visiting programs. So the pushback may not be necessarily the individual in another agency, but the regulations that we have to work under. So we have the maternal child health program, robust, wonderful home visiting programs. And then child welfare focuses on home visiting for children that are in their system. It may be even prevention services that they're offering. It doesn't have to be a child that's either been removed from the home. But certainly, doesn't it make sense, instead of having two people to go into the home after a child is born, to have one person go in? And so how do we make sure that we're not duplicating services? It's really important from a financial perspective to be a good steward of public funds. But sometimes those regulations from the feds tend to inhibit our ability to be that creative. State health officials now work directly with their federal agencies and say, look, I know that I can do this at a lower cost if you give me just a little bit of room. And that's what's happening now. So that could be a barrier. This model of chief health strategist, I think, has been around about four years or so? Yep. Do you sense that it's catching fire across the states, or are there still states that maybe are on the sidelines thinking about it? I think it's caught fire and it's burning. Um, In some states, it might be a a slower burn than others where there's, to use the metaphor, the flame is huge. But ASTO focuses a lot these days, and we have always in the past, but right now it's part of the language that we use consistently. You know, how do we, as an, as an organization whose primary role is to provide capacity building, to assist state health officials in becoming the leaders that they want to be, and giving them the tools that they need to become that state health strateg- the chief health strategist in the state? And it trickles down to their, their um, folks that work with them. When they see their leader acting in a certain way, that inc- that, like you said, it makes people want to come to work in the day. What kind of support do you offer states and the people working out there uh, if they need help on this? Great. 
Well, there's one major component of our program, and that's the ASTO Leadership Institute. And I don't, um, I don't think there's a state health official out there today that doesn't really want to be part of a leadership institute because it, you know, they know they're going to be able to not only network with their colleagues, but they have an, an opportunity to to learn. So there's the Leadership Institute. We use the Center for Creative. Um, leadership, I believe, and we are implementing a program that they have developed called Boundary Spanning Leadership. And that sounds pretty awesome, and it is because it, it, it's exactly what it's talking about. It's expanding boundaries. Some of the other things that we do, we provide um, frequent, frequent opportunities for state health officials to network together, to become, um, have close relationships meetings a couple of times a year where it's just them in the room so that they can share with each other what's what's going on. And obviously we work with the Centers for Disease Control and Robert Wood Johnson and our funders to make sure that we're implementing evidence-based practices, we're promoting evidence-based practices with our state health officials. Some of them only have a very, you know, like a short window of time. Some of them might be two to four years, others may last longer. But during that time, they really want to make an impact. And the way to make an impact is to use evidence-based strategies. So all that what we do is focused on that. We provide that information to state health officials and their teams. And we provide you know, opportunities for learning communities and on-site technical assistance. What are you learning from the feedback on these efforts? I assume that people are reporting how they're going. Mm-hmm. Is the regulation obstacle one of those things that came back to you? Uh, it, you know, that, that might be one. What else? Uh, the other obstacles that could very well be challenging a chief health strategist is time. You know, do I have time? Some of them have limited resources as it is. Some states are smaller than others. The, the, as chief, uh, one of the state health officials may not even have a deputy. So that means that their time is spent, you know, meeting with the governor, meeting with the legislature, talking to their finance offices. So one of the things that ASTO can do is give them, what are those, you know, glimpses of opportunity where you can break out of that routine or break out of that and try to find that, you know, one moment in time perhaps to create a relationship with somebody else outside of an organization. Those are the barriers that state health officials face. Final question. Is the market basically going to demand this approach across the board? Yes. You can't really, I mean, you got to do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Public health will die if it doesn't make these changes. So all, you know, the state health officials know that. It's a matter of getting it done. You know, what we are faced with now are just a continuation of somewhat subtle emergencies in states where we have chronic disease increasing. I'm one of the members of the silver tsunami, I call it, where the baby boomers are going to start to be the ones that are showing chronic disease and having health concerns that on a much larger scale from a population perspective. Well, if we're not closely aligned with healthcare, if we're not really tied to the community-based agencies and organizations out there that are going to help us to solve that problem, 
then public health has missed its mark and really has lost, lost an opportunity. So rather than wait for this to occur, this is the time where they develop those relationships, and so many of them are already doing that. For more information about the Chief Health Strategist concept, check out the link to the ASTO webpage in the show notes. You can also find links to the Trust for America's Health. Next time on Public Health Review, we'll hear about a telehealth program in Alaska with results so impressive you'll find them hard to believe. Public Health Review is a production of the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials. If you've got comments or questions we'd like to hear from you, email us at pr at asto.org. That's pr at asto.org. For Public Health Review, I'm Robert Johnson. Be well.